Welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. I'm Beth Shank, host of the podcast, and this is the 11th in our Nurses Actions for Climate Justice series. Dr. Robin Evans-Agnew talks with Deanne Shepard, an assistant professor at St. Francis Xavier University in the Rankin School of Nursing. Deanne is a doctoral candidate at the University of Toronto in the Adult Education and Community Development Program, specializing in Indigenous health. Robin and Deanne discuss her fascinating work in cultural safety, Indigenous knowledge, and love in nursing. Deanne's paper is linked in the show notes. It is called Getting to the Heart of Cultural Safety in Unamaki, Considering Kesultulinej, which is love. Enjoy! Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Nurse Actions for Climate Justice podcast. Um, my name is Robin Evans-Agnew, and I'm one of the interviewers for this series. And in this series, we're showcasing actions nursing, uh, nurses are taking around the globe to address and advance climate justice uh, for people and our planet. I'm so excited, folks, to have in the, um, in the podcast studio today, Deanne Shepard. She's an assistant professor of nursing. She's a Mi'kmaq nurse of Irish and Mi'kmaq ancestry. Uh, she is at the Cape Breton University in, um, in Canada. And uh, she, I think you're chair of the uh, uh, CIHR Indigenous Research Unit. Is that right? Or is that, was that something that I picked up from? No, the there, was, there was an application for that. Actually, that's, that's really great. Thank you, Robin. I'm really excited here. I'm actually, um, I'm actually at St. Francis Xavier University. And, uh, and that's only a recent change in the last year. So I think the, the publication you were reading, I was at Cape Breton University. Okay. Because um, yeah. this publication was what got me connected to you. Um, uh, a, a super nurse that I've been working with um, uh, from, from the uh, Canadian Association of Nurses for the Environment. Um, uh, put me in touch with you, and um, I, I, we've been wanting to talk to somebody who kind of uh, is being able to speak to um, th th these questions around identity and our connection to the land and to um, to people and to treaties and cultural safety. And so I read your paper. Folks, I'll, I'll, I'll mention the name of the paper if I can right at the beginning, because uh, don't uh, walk but run and find this paper called Getting to the Heart of Cultural Safety. And here we go in Unamaki, uh, considering Kesul Tulinej, which is in parentheses, love. And love as action was really what I sent the email to you, but there's so much else embedded in this paper. Um, but maybe you can just talk a little bit about yourself and how you, how you came to write this paper and, and, and uh, th these, these connections to the land and to people and this new way of thinking about nursing, especially for Indigenous nurses. Thank you, Robin. I'm, I, I'm, I'm always sort of, uh, as I'm listening to you so carefully, wondering sort of what entry point to sort of begin the story and um, I grew up in northern Labrador in a very small, uh, that grew to be big, iron ore mining town. And I was thinking about this this morning when I knew I was going to be talking to you this afternoon. And 
my father was a grew up in a very poor community in St. George's, Newfoundland, um, on the west coast of the island of Newfoundland. Um, Newfoundland was Lake Joining Confederation, and, and that's an important piece because they didn't join Canada until 1949. And so the, the quality of like this, the, this sort of ability to, to have an existence on the west coast until then was very difficult. Um, Food was short, jobs were short, and um, he answered an ad on the post office wall and went to Labrador and became a miner. And fast track that now 57 years forward, and he is um, end stage silicosis, um, needs oxygen, and uh, gave his life to that mine. Uh, we grow up, you know, sort of not really understanding what the mine meant except that, you know, we flew in and out without any real consideration of what that meant to the environment. Every time you flew in, the lake of tailings was bigger and redder and didn't give that any consideration. Um, the snow was gray in the spring because it was so full of iron ore concentrate. And, you know, my parents bought into the dream, you know, they went into the North, um, that progress, that sense of, um, of uh, making a living and, and, you know, people make those choices in times when they have to, they have to have work, they're economic refugees. And so I didn't really feel like I belonged anywhere. I remember going to the island to visit my maternal and grandparent parents. And my mom used to say, you don't tell them you're a Newfoundlander, tell them you're a Labradorian. And so it seemed to be important sort of make yourself separate which I, I look back now and I, I wonder what that was all about because it was a real disconnect and you had to be okay with that disconnection because it meant disconnecting from family it meant disconnecting from everything you knew and I look back now and it's it's like those big lies you know when we really acknowledge the big lie everything else falls apart so it's very difficult to acknowledge it as it goes on later and later I have had a very interesting um, nursing career. And, and I, like many of the nurses you'll speak to, um, I kind of always knew I wanted to be a doctor or a nurse. I always knew I had that in me, like that sort of ability that that was something that I had a gift for, but never really sure how that was gonna play out. Um, and went into nursing, um, and move through nursing. I, I, I feel like if I did anything right in my career, it's that if there was an opportunity, I followed my curiosity. And so I've been, I finished um, my original nursing program in 1987 in Newfoundland. Um, in Newfoundland, the main industry was fishing and the food fishery closed in 1992. And uh, my family, we moved to Ontario and I went back and did the nurse practitioner program. You know, I feel like a lot of nurses, we're never quite educated enough. You know, you keep going for a little bit more, a little bit more, never quite enough. Uh, and eventually um, at the end of my sort of clinical career, not, not the exact end, but working as a nurse practitioner, found myself in the far North um, and really having an experience that 
forced me to look at a lot of things and a lot of assumptions that I had about the world and realize that um, there are so many ways that we're disconnected and we need to stay disconnected if we're going to continue to do what we're doing. And when, once you reconnect to the land and you sort of have that awareness, mm -hmm. something happens in you. Mm -hmm. um, fast track that because um, I know how to make a really short story long, not the other way around. I want to connect I, uh, one, one, one question I had about that because the, you, you talk about the victim mind protests in the paper. Was, was mm -hmm. that... Was that was that where your father was working or was that where you were in the far north? And because it seemed like you you embodied so much pain or or some sort of trauma from that time, mm -hmm. you had to retreat back. I uh, so I was working as uh, as the director of patient care in Attawapiskat, Ontario, um, which for those of you who are not from Canada, Attawapiskat is sort of. Um, is a community that regularly has floods and folks have to be evacuated. And it's been, it's been a very difficult place, very poor place, very isolated place. Um, and is often in the news because there's been high suicide rates and a variety of different things. But at the time I was there, Chief Teresa Spence was the chief and she went on a hunger strike um, demanding that the prime minister of Canada speak to her because her community was in such dire need for housing. And they were, they had signed off um, agreements with Victor Mines who were mining diamonds. Um, and the community was living in poverty. And mm. she, uh, she was, she was, uh, she stopped her fasting like after 28 or 29 days and the prime minister never did come to speak to her. Um, but that movement that started with her hunger strike started idle no more. So she uh, in her own community wasn't as successful as getting things moving forward, but she woke up the voice of many indigenous people across the country. There was circle dance happening and people were angry uh, and they were supporting her. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, um, I'd have to look at the history there, but it was probably about a year before Standing Rock. Like it was, okay. it was sort of Canada's Standing Rock moment. Like I don't know more movement was just like, we're not going to stay quiet anymore. Um, we had, you know, two states of emergency in the hospital that it means evacuating everybody out of the community. And then another incidence of, of the, um, of a crash that we lost some of our personnel and the Victor Mines protest was one of those places where you realize that um, you're powerless. If, if they let the protest carry on, the communities didn't get their supplies for the year because the mine was caring for that road. And so it left people in a very difficult position because um, on one hand, um, they're very upset about the mining and, and the environmental impact. And on the, on the same, that paradox, right? These people are also, if you block the road to the mine, you've now blocked the, the road to Attawapiskat and the communities north of there. So it was a real, it was a time of deep, deep uh, despair. Yeah. Um, and then as um, 
as a manager, you just realize like this is so much bigger than I could have ever realized. And I think it just, I think any time I spoke to somebody once and they bo- they described it as feeling knocked off your perch, you know, mm. where you're, you're yeah. sitting looking at something and you just get knocked down and you have to sort of pick it all up again and look all, just re-examine things. Um, and that was largely you, what yeah, drew me back right. to do my PhD. Right. Mm-hmm. You did that, right? You, you came back and you're, and the, the, the paper folks isn't, isn't depressing, right? That this is this is an uplifting paper. This is a paper for action, but this new way of thinking around love as action. I've been I've been so I've been so I've been so motivated by reading the paper that I have been talking to people. Just like you say in the paper, you're really concerned about speaking these words because some guy like me is going to read your paper and then maybe misinterpret the words. So I'm I'm hoping you can explain this. This, this, these, these ideas um, that you learn from uh, some of the elders you talked to, I think it was Elder mm-hmm. Albert, and he talks mm-hmm. about Kesod um, Tulinej, and then, and mm-hmm. then the other one, which is a, a, a I can't pronounce it, Etwap Munk. Etwap Munk, yeah. Two-eyed seeing. Can you, can you, can you explain how, how you found solace, perhaps, in this new way of thinking and this, this new call to action for? decolonizing nursing and having nursing rethink itself because you are on the cutting edge i've talked to other people i want to talk to other people about this space but this is this is so exciting to read in your paper so how, how do you connect I, these ideas <laughs> so much i i start honestly you know so elder albert marshall is uh from Eskazoni in unamagi which is cape breton nova scotia and he is he and his wife and a professor at cape breton university began writing and talking about Edward Monk over a decade ago. And that's too wide seeing folks. That's too wide seeing. Mm-hmm. Right. That's okay. And I will always, yeah, too wide seeing. And so and so and I will always use the uh make my word and give you the translation once and then after that you have to figure it out. Because that <laughs> word um we I've talked to Albert about this because they they always use visuals when they're teaching it. And in Canada, this concept has been embraced across the Canadian uh, um, Institute of Health Research. It's become very um, common to see in language where anyone's working in community or looking at um, uh, ancestral knowledge. And it's at its first glance, it looks like, okay, we're gonna just take you know the indigenous eye and we'll look at it through this eye. And then we're gonna look through our Western eye and look at it this eye and sort of find the best of both worlds. And I think the beauty of that explanation is that if you don't want to go deeper, you're satisfied. It's enough. Yes, we're gonna include two ways of knowing and that's gonna just check that box. But for me, every time I sit down and listen to him, I realize that, ah, there's more. Because at its root, it's actually an anti-racist pedagogy. It's the idea that you would take your ego off the shelf and imagine for one second that the way you see the world is not correct or it's not completely correct. And that there is another way of considering what you're looking at. And that sounds so simple, um, but you're, you're an educator. Uh, it isn't that simple. Mm. And so Edouard Monk has become over time 
a way of educating, and they developed a whole program at Cape Breton University called Integrative Science because it grew out of, Albert was quoted in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission when they did the testimonies. He said, you know, when I show up to a school, I have to leave my Mi'kmaq self at the door. There's nothing in that school for me. If I want to take any of that knowledge, I have to leave everything I know behind. And the motivation for it became very much, how can I bring all of me into this school and benefit from the uh, Eurocentric science or what we call Western knowledge. And so as you start to understand that more, you realize, oh, we're not just talking about considering two points of view because it's not two pieces of a puzzle. There's million points of a puzzle. And so coming from a place where you always value multiple perspectives is something that's incredibly counterintuitive. Um, to me, it was to me as a nurse and to me when I, when I see students and when I've, even in my own family, when you have these conversations, you realize that, you know, people get pretty confident about what they think they know. Yeah. And I think it's just such a beautiful way of teaching. And it was actually, um, it was, it was Stephen Augustine, Elder Stephen Augustine, who actually, when I was talking to him about, um, I was asking him for the word because it's not caring. Um, and the way we speak about love in English is sort of um, nebulous at best, but it's a romantic feeling or a, a sensation. But in community, it's what, it's what makes you good at what you do. It, it's what gets you up out of your chair. It's what, uh, it's the reason you open your eye. And it's the reason that you want to go out and look after your community. It's the reason that if you're doing the gift that you were given by the creator, it doesn't feel like work. And I feel like we're not ever allowed to get in touch with that part of ourselves. And specifically in nursing, I think, especially in the education where we have to silo everything down, it's very difficult um, to imagine that what I'm teaching you and how you're related to the own geography of your own body is related to everything that you've walked over coming to the building and what, you know, the ground we're sitting on um, and the treaty that governs the, the land that we're standing on. Um, and I can tell you that when students really get into this, they really love it. They really, they're, they're very aware that social justice is a high priority and they're not really sure how to be an activist. They imagine that being an activist is standing with a placard and that is activism. Um, but every conversation they have and the choices they make, um, the writing they do, um, the way they navigate how they're going to move forward in their own lives, I think is really governed by that. And I think that we spend a lot of time in education actually moving students out of that space. Um, and that's the decolonizing. That's my own personal junior, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's one of those, I mean, it's sort of like thinking about this, this might be one of the most important challenges for us as nurses. I'm sort of leaping through to this sort of third question, you know, that I have. Mm -hmm. which, really about 
the, these important challenges that you lay down in front of nurses, it's not about competencies, right? The most important mm -hmm. challenges for nurses when applying this deep understanding of cultural safety. And I've tried to teach cultural safety and it's hard. It's really hard for, it's hard. And I think it's probably because I've lost touch with the land when I'm teaching mm -hmm. students about cultural mm -hmm. safety and especially lost touch with you know, thinking about policies and laws as being this sort of abstract sense instead of the grounded treaties within which, you know, the land that you're walking on is is embodied in, right? Uh, those agreements mm -hmm. between people, um, between uh, colonizers and, and the colonizers. Mm -hmm. So how, how do, how, that's what I'm thinking is the major challenge. What, what do you think is the major challenge for, for, for enacting what you're writing about in this paper? love as action in nurses do we are we so oppressed that we can't get beyond how can we decolonize nursing tell me deanne in five minutes <laughs> I, in, fi in five minutes oh my goodness so decolonizing nursing i think i think we have to start with ourselves like if i can't untangle my own thinking how can i possibly help you untangle yours and so it is it's a practice it's I mean, we are all children of the patriarchy. We are all colonized. It doesn't matter where you live or how you're living. Um, what's been created and what's happened over the last uh, couple of hundred years. It's not that long really in, in North America. Um, there is a lot of trauma. I really look to... Um, grandmother's hands you know his work he says that trauma in a community looks like culture and so mm -hmm. I feel like we need to move into the geography of our own bodies and our own our own um, bones and our connection to the earth and start untangling all of these thoughts and I feel like when we start to do that for ourselves um, we start automatically attracting really interesting people into our spheres for conversations. And then those conversations, Elder Albert talks about knowledge, like not being owned and that we plant seeds every time we have a conversation. And I feel like my activism is in my writing. My activism is in this conversation because I could have done something else this afternoon. Um, but this is really important to me. Um, and so my job is to show up. My job is to speak my truth. Um, and my real work is to every day to kind of just be more authentic with who I am. And that includes um, being loving to myself and loving to the land. And I think the protection piece immediately comes in when you bring in that love piece. The cultural safety is, that is, I go back and I'm like, this is an indigenous nursing theory. This is an indigenous nursing theory and it's yes. been changed and reworded. Yeah. Oh, but she yeah, like, talks about this in honestly the, about this in the paper. It's a it's a damning critique, really, of how cultural safety has been sort of adopted and but not really enacted in, in the well, way. Well, you know, today is uh, today is All Saints Day or whatever you want to call yeah. it, but yeah. You're a hapti Ramsden, thank you, because that ended, <laughs> that that took her thirty dec three decades to develop, and uh, we dance on the head of the pen and say, oh, should we call it this? No, you go back to your land, your treaties, 
and you come up with your own definition. But in the end, the person who decides is the patient. I don't decide, the student doesn't decide, NCLEX doesn't decide, the patient decides. That's who decides if a patient is safe and whether your care is loving and whether your care is safe. Um, yeah. And that's, that's the reason I really stress the cultural safety piece. Like people want to call it other things. I'm like, okay, I, I also capitalize it on purpose because those are her, that is her work. So if the, patient, if the patient is our planet and this, mm. is, this is where we're on now and uh, the planet has been unjustly and the people on the planet have been unjustly treated and you've witnessed that, what's, what's our actions? What, what, what do we do? How do we, how do we listen to the patient and how do we, uh, how do we love uh, and walk in love? And love being action as well. Um, we've got a global climate change meeting coming up. We're trying to energize nurses all across the world to be more concerned and more committed to these ideas around climate justice. What do you think we should be asking nurses to do? Well, you know, it's so interesting to me because many of our nurses are right now at work looking after pandemic survivors. And I think many of our nurses are doing exactly what they need to do. But for those of us who have privilege and power and the aptitude, I think it's time to get up and um, start writing, start talking and engaging. I feel like here in Nova Scotia, there's actually not even a prof professional association. Nursing has been Nursing's under attack. Like, I really feel like this is a critical time to be a nurse for many reasons, um, because I feel like either we become relevant or we don't. And I think that this is our relevance. The earth is our work. Uh, water protection is our work. Land protection is our work. And I think this is our moment. We are a force to be reckoned with, and we've been hanging in plain sight. And But we're here, and we do love the planet. And I think that... Um, Mother Earth uh, knows that. And I think that that, I think showing up at the climate justice um, talks is important. And I think the work that the nurses who are working in emergency department looking after patients with COVID is important. And I think uh, we are all showing up and being loving in our own ways. And I think, I think for each of us, it's like, what is my gift? And what is it that I can bring to the planet at this moment? And how do I share that with others and get them as excited and curious as I am as to what we might actually achieve? That and listen, listen. Mm. Listening, sharing with others and listening, building that Keep relational listening. space. We, um, there's a, a, a paper written by a, a nurse in Toronto who works with mental, um, his, his primary work is work on mental illness. But, but he wrote a paper that really influenced us in the, in the writing of this climate justice agenda, which we'll publish um, just in, in uh, right when we do our exhibit at, at COP26 next week. But he talks, he does talk about uh, having nurses really begin to lead and to be the designers of things, not just to be mm -hmm. uh, the advocates on the side, but to really be leaders. But, but, and he also encourages 
uh, and, and, and quotes from Inuit wisdom, which may or may not be completely, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, 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 his paper is not as sensitive to gaining, get, gathering knowledge from others and sharing it. Um, but, mm -hmm. but those three, the three things that, that, that he says come from Inuit, which are being kind-hearted and caring, living well together and communicating honestly, those three things are relational work, right? It's the relational work that nurses need to do. And you've talked about that as well, that that's the action that can engage in the space with the patient on the COVID ward right now, uh, the community mm -hmm. that you go home to, um, and then listening, right? Sharing with others and then listening. That's what you said. I, mm -hmm. I just love that because it sounds so simple, but if you can listen without your ego getting in the way with that, two-eyed mm -hmm. with that two-eyed seeing that's 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 where where nurses need to go perhaps uh, you just reminded me of <laughs> of, an, of another Cree elders teachings to me about how you know your spirit as well and that is one you want to be here two you want to be good at what you and three you're kind mm -hmm. and I yeah. use that barometer every day Am I doing the best at what I can be doing? And then can I still do it and be kind? <laughs> I think those are important questions. Deanne, it's, it's just been lovely talking to you. I, I, I wish we had more time, um, but perhaps uh, in this breathless world that um, the, 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 as, as, a, as, a, as a white person I live in, um, I wish I had more time for this. Uh, you've reminded me again of the importance of this when we um, are meeting with people next week um, in the climate justice place. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much for writing this paper. Um, I've just really enjoyed our conversation together. Oh, me too, Robin. Thank you, I, I really appreciate the invitation. That was a beautiful conversation between Robin and Deanne. I was moved by Deanne's comments that all nurses are colonized and the way for us to move through that is through what she describes as two-eyed seeing, which invites us to deep listening, leaving our own egos aside. Further, that love is what brings us to caring for our communities. This is inspiring. I share a deep thank you to Robin and Deanne and invite all to read Deanne's paper. Thank you to all listeners who have followed the Climate Justice series of the podcast, and thank you to Robin Evans Agnew for leading it. Check us out at envirn.org, and please subscribe, comment, and share the podcast. Talk to you next time. <music>